this episode of Vinyl Analysis, we talk to drummer Keith Pickens about the late, great, legendary Neil Peart. An unnamed family member won tickets to go see Rush on a night that they were supposed to be babysitting me and drug me along. And the lights and the drum kit, I was just like, what the hell is this? And then they started the overture. Da-da! Yeah. Da-da! That was it. That's that awesome. changed my fucking life irreversibly. Attention, all planets of the Solar Federation. <laughs> this is Vinyl Analysis, the podcast for 70s and 80s hard rock discussion. I am your host, Arch Madness, along with me, producer Greg Hansberry. Yo. And boy, we have a guest. This is somebody that I've bragged about on the show, and I said the best the best damn drummer in the in city. Such, in the city. Uh, is in, this in gentleman the state. Right here. Let's say in this state. What the I hell? See, I see, yeah, but uh, I said in the state. And I think we've, we'll, had, yes. we've had pretty much every other bandmate of his on except for, or, for him. And we've had other drummers on who, when I say that, that doesn't bother them. They're like, yeah, you know, Keith is a badass. So, so here we go, ladies and gentlemen, drummer Keith Pickens. What's up, Keith? How you doing tonight? So, so Keith, here's the deal. You are currently in Rap Bastard Syndicate, and you were also in in the early 2000s and maybe late 90s. You can catch me up on how that all worked out. But uh, the early 2000s, one of my favorite rock bands, American Dog. You were the drummer for that band as that well. That is correct. And what else? I mean, you were in the Gods for a little while. I, I mean, was in the Gods on and off for 10 years. Worked with Eric on and off for 15 years. I did 18 years in American Dog. So, so, so Keith, here's the here's the deal. And we're, and we're I'm bringing you in because we had a. a, a a hefty loss in, in the rock world. And uh, so I figured if we're going to do a Rush record uh, this time and we're going to be talking about Neil, I, I wanted you aboard. And uh, before we get into Neil, before we get into to 2112, which is going to be our feature album uh, in this episode, uh, let's take care of all the uh, the social media deets and contacts and all that good stuff. That's right. We, yeah, you know, we want you to uh, subscribe to a Vinyl Analysis on iTunes or whatever your your favorite podcasting app is. Uh, you can also find us on the QFM 96 app. Share that. And uh, we ask you to rate and review us. Uh, this is a five-star review uh, from Blue Vet Dave. And it's pretty simple. Five stars. Love it. Love the band and the Vinyl Talk Arch. Keep it up. See, oh, cool. Yeah. It's very cool. It's You keep and, it simple, and, but that helps. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at Vinyl Analysis. We've got a new Facebook page specifically for Vinyl Analysis. And yeah, uh, you know, share it with your friends. You know, we talk a lot about local Ohio stuff here, but I mean, obviously Rush, all these bands, this, this is, is universal. universal. This transcends boundaries, man. Yep. <laughs> right. Well, that's like when we did the Pantera piece, uh, that's what I, I wanted to tell the story of some teenage Ohio boys and their discovery, but that story is that you know that's in every state every every 18 19 20 year old kid goes on that adventure with his buddies and you know sure. there's very similar stories to how we get to where we are especially when it comes to music man i think it's yeah well not to use universal again but it is but i'm sorry great i digress <coughs> that's it share the shit out share of it man out of it. it is time for what's on your table 
What's on your table? We're going to start with you, Keith Pickens. What's on your table? Uh, I have been listening to an instrumental uh, group that none of you have probably ever heard of called the Fearless Flyers. Okay. Uh, Great drummer named Nate Smith, uh, killer guitar player named Corey Wong, uh, badass bass player named Joe Dart. Um, It's real funky. It's really stripped down, and it's a lot of fun. Where are they out of, Um, Keith? I honestly don't know. I think they're scattered all over the United States, gotcha. uh, but they get together to do this. Um, they're a lot of fun. It's uh, it's for somebody that, like myself, that I'm primarily a classic rock and, and metal guy. Yeah, man. It's a departure, but I, I like learning from other points of view. So that's something. And then all the way on the other end of the spectrum is I've, I've gotten really really deeply into old motorhead again cool and i'm listening to tons of old motorhead the bastards record the sacrifice record um that stuff i take so much uh i take so much from that and try to apply it to what i'm doing um i'm working on double bass again trying to keep my left leg from being completely retarded well some say that's Um, where it came from i mean the double bass i mean that's where lars and all those guys say that's where they first heard it was uh overkill a a big deal from over overkill is a big deal uh i'm a big filthy animal fan but uh even much larger mickey d fan mickey d to me is um the god of badass Metal drummers with a scorps gobbled him right Holy up. Holy crap! They? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, Klaus wasn't gonna let. Yeah, no. let that sit around. No, that was a brilliant business decision. Yes, it was. So. Man, it's always good just throw Motorhead on, man, and kind of yeah. And you just you think about it, they had so there was there's so much. That's even if you are a huge fan, like you say that you can go back yep. and rediscover so much of of what Lemmy was coming up with, and yep. what an artist, man! Brilliant artist, and um, as much of a loss losing him as it was Neil yeah, Peart for sure. Um, for sure, there'll never be another one guy like that 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 impacted our business the way he did, and the same with Neil Peart. Yeah, it's the same. It'll you'll never have that guy again doing that. Hansberry, what's what's on your table? Well, and, and mine's a, mine's a bit of a departure too. Something that I I don't normally uh, listen to. I'm I'm normally the guy who brings traveling wheelberries in and stuff. Gotcha. <laughs> but uh, but I had big a, Jim Keltner fan, man. Yeah, I get well, it. Well, no, I get you. Uh, but uh, um, my buddy has started collecting vinyl, and he he actually bought me a record and he brought it over. And when I first saw it, I was like, eh, thanks, dude. Great, you know, I put on a smile. Uh, but it is. Oh, here we go. I can't wait to see this. It's, it's you too. Right. War. Signature sound, that album. Exactly. So, and what I was thinking was, I think we all get numb to the sound of you two. You hear the same three songs on the radio all the fucking time. Yep. On every radio station. Why are you looking at me, dude? Come on. I'm looking at myself, too. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, it's easy to just kind of write that stuff off. Um, But I dug into side two, um, and the refugee starts off side two, and I've never—I don't think I've ever heard the song before. It sounds like a Talking head song, and just to your point about a signature sound and the to use the phrase sonic landscape, what the edge and that edge, rhythm man. section for sure. is doing. For sure. 
I finally understood why he is such an influential guitar player. It, I, if I finally clicked with me. Pretty good like, drummer in that band, yeah. too. Really good, yep. Pretty exactly. good drummer in that. I mean, Larry ain't too bad. So Side 2 specifically is, uh, it doesn't have the hits, you know, Sunday Bloody Sunday and New Year's Day is on Side 1, but these Side 2 is just awesome, and it's it's a lot of that uh, cool guitar riffs uh, and, and the sonic stuff he's doing with the effects and pedals. Yeah. The rhythm section holds it together. Yep. Bono, take it or leave it. I don't even think they need them on the second half. And I think you've helped me figure this out too, Arch, is like, don't just write off the book by the cover, as they say. And sometimes yeah. you got to dig a little bit deeper and yep. see these songs, see these out bands and albums other than just their radio hits. And like I'm saying, I'm I'm going to probably listen to Side 2 pretty frequently. It's pretty good. There you go. You too, that's man. All, no, that's cool. cool, dude. No, that's cool. Mine's fucking Armored Saint. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Gonzo, man. So uh, this would have been the 1984 release, uh, uh, March of the Saint, Armored Saint, and uh, and, and Keith. I, I bring it up every now and then on the show. There's a few different things I like to, and I go off on tangents, and I'll go on these. Like, I, I, like I always try to preach iced earth. To people, I try to tell people about Ice Earth and how badass Ice Earth. And then I always, then I go on this little tangent about John Bush and how I think he needs to be regarded as one yes. of the best heavy metal singers ever, ever. And uh, this is a great record. Now, this was is their the first- Armored Saint, your new Ice Earth, is what you're telling no, us. No, I'm saying, but it is, <laughs> there is, there is, yeah, kind of maybe. But uh, so March of the Saint, this would have been 1984, and this was their first LP. Now they had the EP that kind of sparked their their popularity early on. Uh, but uh, March of the Saints, we're looking back at, at 1984. So you had the song March of the Saint. Uh, Can you deliver? Was uh, was the single, and that was the one. That, it got some airplay on MTV and stuff. There was a video for it, uh, but just uh, this was their first album. And uh, I've just I, I I go through this every once in a while, man, where I just can't stop with the Armor, Armored Saint, and I'm back on Armored Saint. And check this out, vinyl analysis, folks. Uh, he brought up Keith brought up Gonzo, but his brother Phil. Yep. Uh, I have reached out to Phil, and Phil said he is going to uh, uh, do a record with us. Nice. So, uh, but yeah, more on that as as the season goes along. They have a new record coming that's, out. That's why I told him. I said, Phil, nice. I said, look, dude, we can talk about that. Uh, but uh, Symbol of Salvation is one that we are going to talk about. That is one of the greatest metal records ever. Well, and give me uh, an Arbored Saint song that uh, someone should check out. Oh, 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 Last Train Home. All right. It's not on this one. Fair it's enough. not on this one. But Last Train Home is my all-time favorite. And and that could be, uh, that's his... That's as catchy as a 38 special song, man. You know what I mean? That's that that's 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 not metal. That's not rock. That's just a damn good song. Fair so, enough. Yeah. But anyway, Keith, so yeah. what about a Fearless Flyer song? Something that's, uh, something that iconic cool. that someone um, might like to check that out. That would be uh as far as um their a lot of their stuff um I'll give you an example. Uh they have a song called Ace of Aces that's uh really cool. Um again, most of it is it's Almost all of it is is just uh, instrumental. Cool, but it's just unbelievably catchy and fun and cool, and uh, again stripped down. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, as far as Motorhead goes, the entire Sacrifice record, <laughs> uh, every single fucking song yeah, on man. Sacrifice yeah. is just brilliant. The, the, <sighs> Dogface boy. If I had to dog pick one, dogface boy. Dog boy. Boy, Lemmy didn't write too many bad ones, dude. No. I mean, he really no. didn't. I mean, to have the catalog yeah. that SOB did. It was insane. Well, 
he made he wrote mama i'm coming, coming home. home yeah i tell people he that wrote, it blows their mind close my eyes forever lita ford and ozzy it was supposed to be lita ford and lemmy because he wrote he helped write that song he made more money off those two fucking songs yeah than he made off the entire motorhead catalog that buys a lot of jack at the rainbow <laughs> that's all i'm saying yes sir all right, right now, we are going to, uh, the album that we're going to do w- with Keith is Russia's 2112, but it, we have to talk about Neil Peart and the loss of Neil Peart before we get into this, because it's going to be the, the big giant gorilla in the room, man, yes, or an sir. elephant, or whatever, what type of huge animal you want to have in the room. <laughs> giant professor. The giant professor in the room. Uh, Keith, and this is why I brought you on, man, because uh, you, you're one of my favorite drummers, um, and what did Neil mean to you, man? Uh, Neil Peart was the beginning of me becoming a drummer. Um, I played guitar. I was, as a young kid, I was obsessed with Kiss um, back hmm. in the 70s. I think I've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was learning to be an ACDC fan. You know, I was a, I was a kid, you know, nine, eight, nine, ten years old. And... Um, and we'll we'll call this an uh, uh, an uh, an unnamed family member um, won tickets to go see Rush on a night that they were supposed to be babysitting me, um, and said cool said unnamed family member um, <laughs> would have much rather taken his pretty hot seventeen year old girlfriend, but could not because he was babysitting me and drug me along. It's like the beginning you of the movie. You ratted him out. This is no kidding. This, <laughs> is, to, like, this is a movie here. To Vets Memorial, uh, which, again, oh. I was a, I was 10. Uh, this was in 1978, and I didn't give any shits about a band called Rush. I didn't know what the hell I was there for, but it was like, you know, here's a Coke. Shut up. And uh, we were, I believe it was fourth or fifth row, but we were pretty close, and we were in the center. Um, and that was back when I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there was either, they either had a, a, a curtain or some kind of big black sheet, whatever, across that stage. And when they pulled that back and that big chrome drum kit was there and the lights, and then they started their pre-show back then, it would have been a tape. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and again, this 40 fucking years ago. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was the the beginning of 2112, the overture. Yeah, it was that. They still, they, I mean, they toured the shit out of that. Yeah, they put the live album out. Um, but I, I believe this was the All the Worlds a Stage which, tour, which was for for 2112. Yeah, the record and, company was trying to get them. And to still, they, that intro yeah. started, and the lights and the drum kit. And I was just like, what the hell is this? And then they started the overture. You know, it was the da-da. Yeah. Da-da. And that was just, that was it. I was like, what guitar? And that was it. You That that, that turned you into it a drummer, changed, didn't it, man? It, that day. That's that awesome. changed my fucking life <laughs> irreversibly. Awesome. And of course, I, you know, I saw the rest of the show, of course. Go home. Um parents knew none were none the wiser because they were out doing their thing yeah we got home it was fine uh the next day you know my parents had just bought me uh a sears guitar and a little shitty amp and the next day i'm like oh play drums and my mom's like what the hell are you talking about and of course i'm like i saw this guy and she's like where 
So of course I fucked the whole thing up and told the story. And key. my brother, yeah, family member didn't talk to me for two years, uh, but because uh, I got him in trouble and I shit. Think so and, taking a young uh, kid to a rush show. Um, most but, important thing he ever did, damn it. Shit, man. But it changed. That's awesome. Well, yes, it did. It changed everything. And I, you know, I became, I went, it was just about the time that you were starting music in band at, yeah. in school. So I, I want to play drums. I went, and here we are. And, literally. And, and, but there was so much more to Neil than Unbelievable. Being, I dove into the Rush those, world at that but point. But those lyrics and... Yeah. I, I mean, the guy was 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 just a bookworm and, and the stuff that he was coming up with. And, um, I mean, he's as brilliant... Is that, I don't know if that's sacrilegious to say to a drummer, and please don't punch me, but, I mean, he was almost as brilliant a, a lyricist as he was... The actually, greatest rock drummer ever. Actually, there's people that would argue that he was a better lyricist okay. than he was a drummer because the bar has been raised so high in recent years. That's unfair because Neil played exactly what the songs required. Um, you never, you would never hear Neil. Now, this is again, I would probably there's people who will disagree. Neil never overplayed. He never underplayed. He was one of the smartest human beings we'll ever know about right. because he knew exactly what the song needed uh lyrically musically he was an arranger he not brilliant drummer his drum parts were compositions they weren't just okay i'm gonna play drums to this it's cool not like keith bass moon riff. who just went nuts keith yeah keith moon the luckiest motherfucker to ever lived um <laughs> compared to neil peart um neil peart everything was thought through to the tenth degree, no wasted movement. No wasted movement. Everything was efficient. Go on YouTube and watch the videos. Everything he did was exactly the same every fucking time because he thought it out. His solos were structured the same every time. Dude, I've played for thirty-five years and I can't remember what I did this right. morning. Right, uh, a guy like that, a guy like that. I mean, he's a, another level. Yeah, lyrically, musically, it was just. And as an adult, I be, I I got to the point where I could appreciate it way more than when I was a thirteen-year-old kid. When I was a 13-year-old kid, I was like, I'm stealing that, I'm stealing that, I'm stealing that. And then I would do a half-assed attempt at playing these fills. Right. To this day, I still use those fills. I stole them. He's but that's just, what we yeah. do. It just... All right, so so here we go. Well, and let me say something go, real yeah, quick, man. too. Um, now, Archie, you had a bunch of drummers locally record some stuff, and I, was Keith, Keith, Keith was, was on oh, that. Keith was numero uno. So um, I'm going to make sure that we include this uh, on the podcast here. I'm going to tag yeah. it on the end here. A, a really cool well, piece uh, where, like I said, some people have talked about the influence and of And that's what I wanted Neil. to do because um, I don't know why. I mean, I have a lot of guitar buddies, but... For some reason, I have a lot of drummer buddies, and <laughs> and you know, I mean, Kevin Young, yeah, yeah, one of my best yeah. friends, but great guy, brilliant drummer, brilliant drummer. Love Kevin, you won't talk about no wasted movement. That guy, but he a speaks. Badass. He's yes, and that will he will absolutely be touching outside of his Levi's, knowing that you're saying that. But I, <laughs> he is, he is, and I, but but you and and he's such a big fan of yours as well, and but I know this was a big loss for you guys. Huge. I mean, this was just. And it, it it and actually Kevin, if we're gonna go through this, 
Kevin is the one that texted me. Mm-hmm. Kevin is the one. I'm on the air four o'clock Ohio time mm-hmm. when this all kind of went down. Right, minutes it went after down. it went down, we're on this text thread. And 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 he, Kevin texted me first, and he said, "Bro, I hope this isn't true. This is what I'm hearing." And so then immediately I get on with our news director. I try to tell see if she can get some info, and yep. everyone here at the station turned out it, it was true. But I. That's why I wanted to have all, like some Columbus area drummers, some guys here in our, in our town that I just I know you guys were hurting man and still are. Oh, this yeah. is and when this, I don't want to timestamp I don't want to timestamp this. Right. But we're we're about we're uh, a week and a half out. Sure. From when we found out. Sure. I mean, hell, we didn't even know. And that's well, that's to a, his I was going to ask you guys. Yeah, he he it, it was about a week after he passed and he had been fighting this illness for three and, a half and, and nobody years. knew about it. Is that is that accurate? There were a handful of people that knew about it that we of course we find we find out about these people afterwards, but that again goes to the level of of privacy that he lived his life mm-hmm. in. Um, yes, he he was a real private guy. Uh, he wasn't a guy that you'd ever see to meet and greet. He he no. just that wasn't his life. He he went through some horrible tragedy early in his life. Um, well, he yeah. he lost a daughter in a car accident, um, and then like less than a year later, he loses his wife to cancer, and he just kind of like went off the deep end, and like kind of walked away from music. When, Hopped know, on his bike, man. He was he was like a hardcore bicyclist um, to the point where he would ride bicycles between gigs. Like part of Rush's deal was they wouldn't do gigs that were more than a hundred miles apart so from each other. So he could ride his bike there. So he That's could ride nuts. his bike. The other guys were in the bus, and he would literally ride a bicycle yeah. to the next venue. That's how hardcore he was. Um, rain shined and fucking matter. He did it. After his wife and daughter passed, he did the same thing, but with motorcycles. He became this huge motorcycling advocate. Um, the AMA that's here in Pickerington, Ohio, there is a petition to to put him in the AMA Hall of Fame. If I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, whoever's listening to this, he will be one of the only non-motorcycle industry people mm-hmm. that will ever have been inducted wow. into the AMA Hall of Fame because he was such an advocate. So many layers to this dude. Tons of layers. And he would, like he did, after his wife and daughter passed, he went on like this this trip around the continental United States. That book is just... Oh, yeah. His books are amazing. I have all of them. Um, and... He used to visit Ohio. I was reading about that. He would go through fucking Rushville because it was Rushville. He had to stop there and get his picture because it was fucking Rushville. I mean, that's the guy had a sense of humor. A a picture sign in front of the 420 sign. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's not. It's not even close to what that's like. He was a brilliant, brilliant person, and there, like you said, there were a million layers to him that we'll never get to. You know, and when I started my career here in radio in Columbus, out of school, you know, 25 years ago, and 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 that was something I wasn't hip to when we would take. It was after the first time. I wasn't really hip to the whole Neil, not, uh, you know, I, hell, I I knew the words to Limelight, I, but yeah. I never put it together as far as a meet and greet. I just, you know, I thought, mm-hmm. well, maybe he'll do that. No, no, that's not the thing. And we would take these listeners backstage all those years that we would go back and, 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 and Getty and, and, and Alex, man, there they would be. And I'm yep. like, oh, this, that's really, it's really is a thing, man. And yep. it's just, um, 
I was just, told, Rush fans don't even expect it. They, I mean, it was right. one of those things when when we would take them back. They they knew they were like, yeah, man, we're we're going to see Getty and Alex. And, I and read he, a thing after he passed where someone, I think it was maybe what their manager that had been their manager for like forty years or something, right? Said that oftentimes that before the house lights would even come up. He was already. He was like Elvis has left the building, kind of thing. He he had an exit planned, yeah, yeah. and he was already on his bike, helmet on his head, and he was on his way to the hotel that was oftentimes a different hotel than the rest of the band and crew, and that way he could get up the next morning, eat his breakfast. And be on the fucking road to ride his two hundred miles or whatever. It, we, and we say this is nuts, but just think how screwed up people in the head are who are like in the limelight all the time. You not to use, yeah. you know what I mean. So like yeah. maybe he's the most sane one of all he of these. Absolutely guys. Well, knew what he did and didn't want. Yeah, well, that's what he that's said. That's a lot to he be said. said he for goes, that. he goes, I love the Who, but I never would have thought of sitting outside of their hotel room. Nope. And and wait and stalking them and waiting for them. Yeah. When Neil says that, you're like. Well, yeah, he's yeah. got a point. He's I'm a, a point. person too. Right. I'm not just what you see up there, but yeah. I'm a guy. I like to eat a bag of chips and yeah. drink a beer and watch TV. Yeah. I'm not just that yeah. guy. That stranger is not a long-awaited friend. It's just, no. it's just, it's, it's not. Yes. And, but what an amazing person. So, and I'm sorry, I have one last thing here. Oh, no, I, 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 this, I'm, I'm coming armed with a lot of uh, information. Uh, I'm actually from Indianapolis, and I know we've got a lot of uh, listeners outside of the area. There's a, a, a drumming museum in Indy. It's called uh, Rhythm Discovery Center, and they've got Neil's uh, R40 kit on display. Wow, that's a big deal. So, uh, and no, Keith, you got to stay. Don't leave right now. Yeah, Keith, yeah, yeah, wait, ready no, to leave. Get not off your yet. bike. Yeah, no, not yet. Uh, but um, my dad's a drummer, lives in Indy, and has been talking about this all week. So I just wanted to share. Wow, that's cool. Uh, if, if you were not too far from where we are here in Ohio, or if, if you're out of town, go, go give it a shot. Go that R40 cool. kit yeah. was made out of 50. 1,500-year-old wood. Wow. When they did the they, QFM, and this would have been two, early 2000s, it was the 25th anniversary, and we went up on stage, and I touched the drum kit. It's crazy. I know Dan, I know Dan Orr did it, uh, another guy that worked on the, on, on, the, on the show there and stuff. And then uh, when you wrestled to the ground? No, but we were, and it was one of those deals where, like, the main guy on the morning show, Wags, was like, don't. Just don't, Archie, and I did, and I got, and I could hear the crowd. I have, I have people that still come up to me and say, "Dude, I thought you were going to like get tased or shot <laughs> or something up there. I saw you touch and touch your kid. career, and I, you know, it was one of those. And I remember like the security and looking at me, and I remember yelling, "Worth it, fucking worth it. Get me, I take me, kick me out. I'll go see him in the next town. I don't give a shit." But to touch. To touch that kick, that that's something I'll I'll never he I'll got, never forget. He man. got better about it as from again I'm I'm going off of what I've read recently, but he got better about it as years went by, and like he was really close with a lot of industry people, like more, Mike Portnoy, very close with Mike Portnoy, and Mike Portnoy's son, who's also a brilliant drummer, um, he went and saw them on the R the last tour, right, right, and Mike Portnoy's son got to sit down and play that kit at soundcheck. Holy. And I mean, it's like, what? And Neil was just, you know, Portnoy was like, oh my God, are you kidding? And he goes, he's a kid, let him do it. And, you know, of course, as a father, you're like, stay the fuck away from the, 
ten million dollar. <laughs> right. Don't go near that. And you know, Neil was like, "No, let the kid do it. It's cool." It's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, that kid will never fucking forget that. No way. That's that's no one way. of those moments that yeah, my dad's Mike Portnoy and my dad's badass. But I played Neil Peart's kid. I not only did I play Neil Peart's kid, I played Neil Peart's last ever kid. Man, that's huge. Awesome. No, it's big time. It's Fucking big time huge. huge, man. So here we go. Rush twenty one twelve uh, released April first, nineteen seventy six. There were um, there were two singles actually released: uh, the Temples of Syrinx and then uh, the Twilight Zone, which I um, I don't want to give too much away. But Twilight Zone. That's my favorite song on the album. Cool tune. That's my favorite song yep. on the album. It's just completely different. Now, this is a time, Keith, and, and I want to I want to know your thoughts on this record. But this was a time. This was a make or break time for the band. Uh, they, they had uh, Caress of Steel was the album just before that, and this was Caress of Steel. I mean, look, the, I like that record. I mean, do sure. you like there? We, we that was all, a good record. We all like that record, but it was. Bizarre, and this was way before my time. I mean, the first Rush album I bought was Signal, so I'm not going to even act like I was in the mix on this. But it uh, this was a time where the record label basically said, "Guys, you're done. They wanted give to us hit. one more chance, one yes. of those kind of dealios that they, you know, a wink, wink." They went into the studio after Caress of Steel and put together 2112. And that was kind of a middle finger and saying totally. this is, they, 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 they fell on their sword and they did the album they wanted to do. This and- is the re- record we wanted to write. Fuck the label. Uh, I'm sorry, but we're not going to give you a hit. This is what we, this, this is what we like. We know that we're done. So we're going to do this yeah. instead. And it. So, so Keith, uh, let's lean on you. You were a young man. You went to a show a couple years after that, but they they were still in support of it. They put the live album out. And I mean, what was your take? I mean, twenty one twelve was your first dip. It was a spectacle, man. It was a spectacle. Um, It's not what I expected. I again, I had seen. You know, I had the Kiss. I had uh, Kiss records at that point. I was just starting to get into ACDC. I was into Deep Purple. So I was into more groove-oriented rock. Um, so this meant nothing to me uh, right. going into it. I had no idea what Rush even was. But the spectacle of it, seeing the drum kit, seeing the lights, and then the guys come out, and they're in the flowing robes and all the <laughs> shit. And it just was like, the priests. what yeah. the hell? Right? And... But when they started playing and you hear drum parts, and now as as an adult and as a drummer, I appreciate this, but at the time it was just this, you're, it was like you're getting beaten in the head with it. The, the best way I can describe it, and everyone here has dealt with this, is when you're a kid and the very first time you ever go to a parade as a kid, yeah, and you're standing there and a marching band walks by and the drums go by and it beats the shit out of you from the inside out yeah you don't know whether to run because you're scared or stand there because you like it and don't know why that's what it was for me 
for them to come out and and throw that twenty minute song on the first Fuck, side, dude. well, and you know, and we talk about Caress of Steel, but you you got glimpses of that with the Necromancer and, and stuff like that. Sure. They, they were they knew what they were doing. Yeah. They were developing as a band at that point, and that's where I come in because that is what attracted me to this record because I was into Tommy. I was into Jethro right. Toll doing the right. thick as a brick shit, the Floyd. So I go, oh wow, Rush doing this twenty minute, you know, concept thing. That's what actually drew me to this. And then when you hear it, and it's just heavy as shit. It was finally like a concept album with balls. And uh, the theme of music can save the world. I just was excited to hear this trippy uh, story song album thing. The uh, when when Alex Lifeston finds the guitar in the cave, yeah, and you right. hear that sonically, like as a kid, that's the shit that I was like, "What is this?" You know, I was excited about taking being taken away to this. Yeah, this, the story uh, this, itself. This story it could have been concept. a soundtrack to a movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in you know, really, it still could. Yeah. Um, as a musician, what it for me, it was the composition of Overture. And then the priests of the temples of Syrinx, yeah. and then hearing all of those parts independently, yeah, taken apart and used further into that track with vocals over top of some of it, where there were no vocals in overture, is fucking amazing. Just the idea of the rock overture is amazing. Anyway. I would love to know. I would, and I'm sure that this information's out there. I would love to know the the writing process behind it did they write all of these individual parts and then go hey we really like this we really like these 16 bars we really like oh shit well that's just rush in general right where you're like right. how the fuck do you guys and then did they take the all this stuff process. and go let's yeah. weld this onto this and then onto this and let's use it as a fucking intro you know, and not to get ahead of ourselves, but let's face it, after Hemispheres, they're like, all right, all right, that's that's fucking enough. I mean, even at that point, they yeah. were, you know, that, that was so, it got to the point where it was like, all right, we can't, we can't carry on like this. I right. Mean, it is. It's insane. Well, the best it's thing, insane. one of the best Neil Peart things that I ever read about the way that they compose and do stuff was they were like, once they figured out that he was a brilliant lyricist yeah. and that he was a... Well, it's Extre- all he did was a yeah, he was, was an extremely worm. educated human being, uh, and v- every all of his thought processes worked around how can I incorporate poetry into this. Yeah. Um, they did a string, and I can't remember all the names of the records because I'm fucking old. Um, <laughs> but they did a string of records that there were very few, if no, uh, instrumentals on. And when they finally got to, I believe it was the Roll the Bones record. Um, he just flat told the two guys, he goes, all right, we're writing a fucking instrumental. I'm not giving you any lyrics. It's that simple. I'm just not going to fucking do it. So they wrote a song called Where's My Thing. Right. Oh, absolutely. Which is fucking brilliant. Right. One of my favorite, you know, call it newer, newer Rush songs because it was just 91 over yeah. oh, the top. Yeah. Oh, it was over the top. And then more over the top, the farther you get into the song. And then finally, when you think, oh, they're going to come back down, then it just continues to kick you in the nuts. It was just a lot and of it's fun. Only a, uh, it's just under four minutes, so it's not even right. a 20-minute Jesus. Jam. And yeah. then when I saw them on the, uh, I think it was Snakes and Arrows, or yep, 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 yep. I saw the Snakes and Arrows. That came here. They fucking played it. Awesome. I, dude, I stood on a chair. I was like, 
my wife was like, what are you doing? And I'm standing on my chair like this with my arms stretched. And I'm like, in my life, I would have never thought I would hear this song live. Yeah. And she was like, get off the chair. You're get off the fucking me. chair. You're but I just, I could me. not fucking believe. And the, clearly they did it because Neil loved that track. Right. But that was just, that was the way he was. And that's clearly how all of this stuff on 2112 yeah, and, and is. So, and for those that don't know, it was a 20-minute futuristic science fiction song, and, and there was like seven parts within that. And, you know, when I first got into uh, into radio, uh, here in Columbus especially, I mean, we were still technically an AOR station, album-oriented rock, where you right. were, you, you, you know, and you, it was, I always thought it was crazy how you would play certain parts of a song, but you wouldn't play. So, like, we would do, like, you would do the overture, and then you would go into the temples of Cyrix, and the way it would end was like a perfect right. thing for radio. Right, right, right. You know, and before that's, discovery, that's, well, yes, before discovery, yeah, before the cave exactly. In, yeah. And but you never really got to that part. I mean, there were times when you know you probably could on a weekend night or sure. something play the whole thing. But there, that was for for the radio folk. That was where they 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 cut it off there. Yeah, um, yeah. Just just an amazing an amazing uh, first side to an album. All right, so let's. I mean, let's and ch- last thing, yeah. I, I think at one of Alex's best solos is at the end of that. I can't remember if it's at the end of sol- uh, soliloquy or what, but he shreds. It's oh, yeah. really off the fucking yeah. hook. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was li- actually listening to that today, driving around in the work truck, and. Yeah, he he stretches hardcore on that. That's awesome. Now we used to play at uh, at QFM a. Uh, now we would play jumping over to the second side. We played the live version uh, of a passage to to Bangkok. Yeah, that yep, was yep. that was all the time. That, that 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 radio peeps would know mm-hmm. if you're a listener and stuff. That was always kind of a you know uh, a cool one to do. Uh, the Twilight Zone is still that's probably my favorite song. On this I, album, you know what bums me out, um, and I don't know if this has anything to do with popularity or what, but um, "Passage to Bangkok" I seems to have gotten more airplay than "Twilight Zone." Oh and yeah, "Twilight Zone" was was the, was single. the single. Yeah, uh, yeah, for Passage sure. Passage to oh, Bangkok pass- was more popular. Absolutely, it was more popular. So, yeah, but, but taking nothing away from either song, I mean, they're both brilliant songs. Damn it! Do you have a favorite? Do you have no? Listen, so we kind of we kind of work through it there. Do you do you have a favorite Rush album? Oh. Not to put you on the spot, brother, but do you have a favorite? Strictly speaking, from an influence perspective, that okay. would be twenty one twelve. Okay, because it changed what my life ended up being. Um, I really liked the last record. Uh, it was called a Clockwork Angels," yeah. I believe. Yeah, um, that was a really good fucking record too. Um, so many great moments, though, through all those records. There's not... There'll be people that definitely disagree with this, and I don't give a don't fuck. Don't worry about it. I don't think there were any bad records. I There were times that they tried to... They they tried to move along a little bit with what was going on in popular with radio. Right on. Yeah, with yeah, the, with for the sure. Scene. Yeah. Um, and I get it. Um, Poor Alex. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Getty with the mullet and the right. whole thing. Yeah. Um, fine. I mean, everybody did weird shit then. But come on, Amy, man, let's do a song together. Yeah. Um, whatever. <laughs> whatever has to be has to be. But what I really liked about that band was when you would go see them live. They were still. They were three goons. Yeah. That genuinely, individually, weren't remarkable people 
standing on a soapbox spouting their shit, but when you get the three of them together, they didn't need anybody to have fun. They enjoyed each other's company so much. It was fucking ridiculous. And that's how the music ended up being so great. Yeah. It was just that. For sure. Those man. three guys didn't need anybody else around them to be almost criminal. There, that's the beauty of, of, <laughs> of Rush, and that's the beauty of being a Rush fan. Yes. I don't think any other Rush fan would give you shit for saying that. I mean, one of my favorite songs is Ghost of a Chance off Roll the Bones. I yeah. love that song, and that sounds like nothing else, damn near a ballad, if you will. And I remember uh, the, when I got to interview Alex Lifeson, and I said, Alex, and there was a show that night in Columbus, and I said, Alex, is there, what are you, is there any chance... And I said this, and as soon as I was spitting it out, I knew what he was going to right, say. Right, 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 But I said, will will we get to hear Ghost of a Chance tonight? And he goes, Archie, uh, it's a Ghost of a Chance. Ghost of a <laughs> Chance. As soon that as I spat it, I'm like, I'm yeah. throwing one of the, I mean, those guys were almost, they had they had Marx Brothers timing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as comedic timing, they, they did. I mean, they were just, they Brilliant. were on it, yes. on it. And as soon as I spat it out, I was like, oh shit, this is coming back full force, a Ghost of a Chance. And uh, man, it's just... I, I'm bummed that my kids, that my my two boys, will never get to see them. Um, That's my, the big tragedy. Yeah, uh, t- last two years, my one son has been uh, taking guitar lessons, mm-hmm. and our our thing is, uh, if you know, if the instructor says, "Hey, you you did a good job, Tommy," uh, we would. Uh, we would we would go to Bob Evans, but on the way to Bob Evans after after practice, we're always listening to Rush. We're Here, always listening to Rush, and he'd be like, "Dad, let's do." Well, there's nothing like it, Hansberry. And you, when your kids get a little older, mm-hmm. and, Huge, and they want to hear and they want to hear Lavia Stragiato, uh, yeah, you're like, which is one of the greatest right? songs ever written. That's good parenting. That's, That's all that unbelievable is. parenting. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I this whole thing has been geared towards Neil Peart understandably so but i cannot stress yeah, man. the importance of the other two unbelievably brilliant musicians yeah, and that alex lifeson is one of the most underrated guitarists on the planet we always say that we always say no that. question we always say that and but if you Hansberry. doubt that youtube yeah. go watch what he yeah. does yeah. yeah there's no one that can no one that plays with that fluidity no, no man um, and that much thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. He, nothing he did was about him. Um, and I think that's why he doesn't get the cred, <clears throat> because he's playing to the song like you are talking Literally about. Literally for the there. song. Yeah. Everything was for the song with that band. There was nobody in that band that was standing up going, look at me, mm-hmm. because the song said, look at me. That was the whole point. Same with Getty Lee. Getty Lee, maybe one of the most brilliant songwriters, uh, bass players, and composers of our lifetime. Yeah, man. Oh, I... No question. Yeah. Not to mention the vocals of a god. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you won't hear that again in our lifetime. It's, it'll never happen again. No, and, and they did all that shit without out, auto-tune, man. dude. They did all that shit without auto-tune. They did all that shit without tracks. They would go kick your ass, three guys... Like nothing you've and ever that's heard. What you nailed on the head. The three guys, like you know, you referenced. I referenced Floyd earlier. They had, you know, uh, Alan Parsons in the studio. They had a keyboard player. You know, probably one of the best rock keyboard players. Yep. These guys did it balls to the wall. Yep. You know, there weren't nineteen people on stage. Right. There's three it was dudes. them. It was them. Man. It was them. It was them. And they, yep. uh, the, you know, the jokes that they made there in the documentary about how. Uh, when when Getty would just move his microphone over to to play the keyboard, and he would use his big nose to to move it's the, hysterical to move, his, to move the microphone out. Of, I mean, 
Well, we'll, we'll like, never see another band like we, that. When we'll I never saw see him, another band like they, that. Getty played through a direct <laughs> box. Yeah. So yeah. one tour I saw him on, they had chicken rotisseries in place of yeah. his amps. That's and funny. they had real fucking chickens in them. Yeah. And what they did was, is they had, the crew would have to draw straws before the show started. And whoever drew the short straw would be the guy that would have to put on the chef's apron and this giant chef's hat and would have to walk out while the show was going on and baste the fucking chickens during the show <laughs> for the band's amusement. Right? And then for what, their amusement. For the <laughs> band's amusement. <laughs> and then what would happen is, brilliant, at the end of every show, they and I mean, we're talking 150 fucking chickens, they would... Box all these chickens up and give them to the local food pantry for the homeless shelter. See? Brilliant. Brilliant. The next time I saw them, in place of the chicken rotisseries, they had dryers. Yeah, the dryers. And they had rush shirts in them, and they would throw throw these rush shirts (laughs) out to people. And if you got one that said rash, which was the inside band joke, it would say R-A-S-H, rash, you got to go to the meet and greet. They, their, their sense of humor they was unparalleled. They, they did spoil us. Does that have to do with the, the Canadian, you think? The Canadian, oh, for sure. Uh, Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, yeah. No question. Sure. And, and no question. Alex Lifeson, that is still uh, the Closer to Heart episode on the Trailer Park Boys, is still where they <laughs> kidnap him. And he and and Ricky they've got him in the in the trailer park that they've got him in the mobile home and they and they've got him all tied up and he's like he's got the guitar and Ricky's like I don't know play like the rock and he goes uh, that's April Wine he goes well, I don't know play that Diane Sawyer song that's why the fuck you're here Diane Sawyer, <laughs> Diane Sawyer. <laughs> uh, all right uh, drummer Keith Pickens. Keith, thank you. Oh, Couldn't have I had done a blast. This one, uh, this one I had to have you here, man. I had really to have you here. It. One of my favorite drummers. Thank you so much for taking the time, brother. Appreciate and don't it be greatly. a stranger. There you go. For producer Greg Hansberry, I'm Arch Madness. Uh, this has been Vinyl Analysis. Stay frosty. <laughs> This is Keith Pickens, current drummer for Rat Bastard Syndicate, former drummer of American Dog and the God. He changed the game for drummers completely. He made it so that drummers aren't looked at just as the knuckle-dragging timekeepers for the musicians. He proved that drummers were musicians, Uh, Not to mention the fact that he was a brilliant lyricist, maybe the most influential drummer of our generation. His impact, his impact will be, it'll way outlive us. His impact will so much outlive us. That's Brad Heston from Jackass Genius, drummer. He's our, at least, and I might get heat saying this, but I love Buddy Rich, but he's like our generation's Buddy Rich. And he'll never be forgotten. I mean, that that just shows on social media. I've never seen somebody that's passed away, stars and musicians, and he's still on fire on social media. It's amazing. He'll live forever, you know, at least with me. I know that, and a lot of other musicians, you know. Amazing musician. This is Dave Ziegler, drummer for Red Light Go. I was actually listening to the radio uh, when you got the call from Christy on Friday. Uh, I heard your phone conversation, and I was, I was like, wow, that was sudden and unexpected then all of a sudden my eyes started swelling up and i started thinking like wow that that really did hit me like he's, he's been a part of my life for 
40 some years now. It's like to feel that overwhelmed by it. Hey, everybody, it's Dave Crouch from Jackass Genius. You know, before I was a singer, I was a drummer back in the 80s. Used to listen to Mr. Peart all the time and try to pick up his chops. Peart gave you a reason to try a lot of different things, all, all these weird beats. I'd go through a passage of a song when I was when I was a drummer and almost have it down when I realized it wasn't perfect. It was because I missed a, a tom hit when it was supposed to be a snare drum. The professor was frust as frustrating as he was good, man. And I don't like to compare against other eras, but I mean, um, he goes he goes beyond like being the buddy rich of our time. I mean, he's he's also a songwriter. I mean, that's that's legendary. That's that's top of the heap stuff. There's nobody like him. Hey, it's Kevin Young, drummer from the Gypsy King. Not only did we lose a killer musician, it feels like we lost a friend. Forever immortalized as, if not the greatest, one of the greatest rock and roll drummers ever to pick up the sticks, ever to lay down a drum track, also ever to write a lyric that can't be underestimated. The dude was a true pioneer in the truest sense of musicianship, man. Hey guys, it's uh, Tom McCullough, drummer for South of Beat. In terms of the drumming spectrum, I mean, he was, me and uh, our guitar player Justin were having to talk about this the other day. For our entire lives, he was pretty much the greatest drummer alive. You know, not only in technical skill, but in feel and, and everything. So it's, it's kind of weird that these past couple days have felt kind of weird every time I think about it because there's like this void now where I'm not really sure who's filling his shoes because the entire time we've been alive, it's just kind of been like, Neil Peart's the greatest living drummer. My dad, like, grew, you know, the entire time I was growing up listening to, you know, QFM and all that, so I heard Rush songs, but the first time, uh, the first time I ever uh, actually listened to, like, Rush and knew what it was, was uh, me and my dad were doing a whole cleaning of the house while my mom was away at training for the Army. And uh, Dad was like, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start with the first album, and we're going to listen through, like, every single Rush album we can get through. So we literally put them on and listened to, like, nine Rush albums in one day while we were cleaning the house. And it was great because, you could, you know, I was like, that was the first time I was ever like, oh, man, there's this band Rush, and they're amazing, and I need to listen to more of them. 